If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 146 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here with you on the 17th day of July in the year 2022. I am back again, my friends. It is July 17th. My God, we are in the middle of July. (laughs) Time just continues to just bolt right on by. Who can keep track of it? Maybe you can, but I can't. I'm sitting here. It is late Sunday afternoon. I guess it's kind of the evening now. Not really the afternoon. It's about 4.45 at the time I'm starting taping right now. The Yankee game's almost over. It's the bottom of the eighth at the time I'm recording right now. They are winning 13-2 against the Red Sox as they're getting ready to take this weekend three-game set against Boston heading into the All-Star break, which begins tomorrow with the Home Run Derby. And no doubt I owe you guys a bit of an explanation. Because obviously last week I abruptly and suddenly took the week off. And if you follow me on social media, then you know why. But for those who don't, just a little bit of an update. Of course, I usually don't do that with my episodes unless something urgent or up to the minute happens. And, you know, like a family tragedy or a death or whatever it may be. Something else, emergency with work or something, anything of the sort. But I unfortunately did have a family matter last week. I, um... I lost my last grandparent. My grandmother passed away. And it has not been easy, especially if you consider the fact that you've been with me for a while now, whether it be on just social media or just on this show, Yapping Yankees, or both maybe. You know this is my second death, big death, in quite a short window of time because I lost my other grandmother about six and a half, seven months ago, at the time that my other grandmother passed away, about a week and a half ago, the one that I just lost. At that point, only about six and a half months prior did I lose my other grandmother back in December, back when I and most people had COVID. So this has been, to say the least, I'm just going to be very blunt, not to get too personal for a second, but I think you've heard a bit of it despite me still making the episodes as fun as ever this last year or so, I have given little tidbits here and there of my personal life, about how my life has become a lot busier because of my promotion, my new job at my radio station, being the program director there now, and just a lot has happened in my personal life from losing both grandmothers now within about six months of each other and just a whole bunch of other things that I don't need to get into publicly here. To put it bluntly, but briefly... I'm just going to be really honest with you right now. The last year, my life has not been great. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. My life has not been good. 
this podcast has been a good avenue for me to escape it. Some weeks I really drag my feet into the show. I'm going to be honest, be like, I'm just not in the mindset to do this. And then I end up doing it. I end up having a good time because it's fun. What's not to enjoy? Talking to you guys who I love about the Yankees who I love. (laughs) So this podcast has been a big help. Uh, The busyness of my job, despite it really getting to me some weeks, sometimes your job being busy can distract you in a positive way because it keeps you so busy that you don't really have all the time that you otherwise would if you weren't doing anything to think about things. Because if you weren't doing as much, then you wouldn't, you'd have a lot more time to think about things. But when you're really busy, you're distracted. You don't really have as much time to do so. You're busy working. And then there are some other interests I have, as I've also mentioned a lot on this show, in other forms of content like Star Wars, Marvel, the Rocky movies, Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid universe, anime, Stranger Things. Season 4 just finished with that not too long ago. The list goes on. So there are certain other things to help to make things easier, to help you sort of escape difficult times in life, even if it's just for a little bit. So that's been a help, but... Life has been very difficult. I'm just being honest. I'm getting really personal and honest here on this mic right now. <laughs> it's been really difficult. Um, my grandmother, who I just lost about a week and a half ago, uh, her birthday would have been next month. She would have been 88 years old, so she did a very nice job. Basically 88 years old. Just like my grandmother, my other grandmother, who I lost in December, her birthday was in mid-January, so she was like less than a month away from her birthday, so she was going to be 87. So basically one was 87, the other was basically 88. Both did very nice jobs. This last grandparent, um, she had a, she's had she been having a tough go at it for almost the last year, and um, finally she's uh, she's gone home. So um, when you're in my shoes and... Some of you may not have been able to experience this sort of a thing in your life. If maybe you didn't know your grandparents very well, maybe if you didn't know them at all, maybe because they may have died before you were born or you were very young, or maybe you don't have a good relationship with yours, whatever the story may be, if your relationship or lack thereof with your grandparents is like that, then you don't really understand what I'm saying. But those who are fortunate and have been very close to their grandparents all their lives, having the luxury to maybe even be close to all four of them, like I was, up until each and every one of them passed away, obviously. If you're in my shoes like that, then you understand. I fortunately had all four grandparents until I was 14. I lost my mom's dad, my grandfather. He passed first. Then I went about eight years without losing any. In 2019, my dad's dad, my other grandfather, passed away when I was 22. So at 22, I had three grandparents. Then about three and a half years, about two and a half, almost three years later, my mom's mom, my grandmother, who passed away back in December, passed. I was two weeks away from turning 25. So at that time, when I was just about 25 years old, I had two grandparents. And then unfortunately, about six, six and a half months later, at 25, I'm about 25 and a half now, I have lost my final grandparent. And it's part of life, I know, but it really, it's difficult to have lost two within the last half a year. (laughs) And in my case, 
because I had that much time with my grandparents, not only just because I had a lot of time, you could have a lot of time with your grandparents. They could be around for fairly late into your life. You could be lucky for that, but you could still not have a very good relationship with them and be close with them. I, fortunately, was close with all of them, particularly my mom's parents, but I was even close with my dad's parents. I had great relationships and was very close to all of them. So for a person like me, they were always a huge fixture, a huge presence in my life, my grandparents. And a grandparent's love is much more different than a parent's love. Not saying better or worse, it's just very different in a very good way. It's just different. And they were just very, just had such a huge role in my life. It's just to the point where you're just like, oh, you know, I'm always going to have them. At least that's how it feels. And then when you don't, you just kind of feel lost. And that's, I'm going to be honest with you, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. I feel like there's a big void in my life that just can't really be filled. And I know it's important to rely on your loved ones who are still here for love and support, and I've done that as best as I can, but that lost feeling is inevitably still there. As it normally would be with any big losses in your life. And for me, the grandparents are huge for me. And I just can't believe they're all gone. It is, I've done a lot of crying, I've done a lot of thinking, I've done it all. And it's very hard to believe that six months ago, seven months ago, I still had my grandmothers, and now they're both gone, like six and a half months later. It's, it's, it sucks. So, it's not easy. And again, I know a lot of other people out there maybe don't have good relationships with their grandparents, maybe they passed away a long time ago when they were very young, before they were born, and a lot of people tell me, oh, you know, you were very fortunate to have that. I didn't know any of my grandparents, and yes, I acknowledged myself just before that I'm very fortunate for that, did I not? <laughs> but I'm not going to pretend to be like an oversensitive wuss over here. I'm, I'm just saying that comment usually doesn't do anything for me. Like, oh, at least you had them. Yeah, at least I did have them. It is a valid comment, but you also have to put yourself in the other person's shoes, in this case, mine. Because... Usually when you see someone, and I said this when my other grandmother passed away too, I believe, and I always say this for people when it comes to losing grandparents, because I understand you. If you're in a great deal of pain over losing yours, like I am over mine all the time, it's like a gunshot to the head for me losing a grandparent, because again, because of my relationships with them. But that comment about, oh, at least you had them, it doesn't do too much for me. Because while I do feel for the other person, with having not really gotten to know theirs, you see the expression on their face when they say, oh yeah, I never really got to know mine. You know, they passed away before I was born or passed away when I was too young to remember even a single thing about them. What's the expression on their face when they usually say that? It's like, oh, okay, that's, that's what happened. Not really much of an expression there. When you have someone in your life, especially grandparents, when you have them in your life and you're fortunate to have them in your life and then you lose them, that's an entirely different pain. You don't see much pain on the other person's face when they talk about someone they lost that they never even got to meet. What makes loss really difficult is when you lose someone who you care about to the ends of the earth. And a grandparent's a great example of that. 
who was such a huge presence, a huge fixture in your life that you could never even come to terms with losing when they're still around. There are emotions there. There are memories there. And then when you lose them, it's, it's like, what, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> That's how it is for me. So even though I'm fortunate to have had my grandparents for as long as I did, and to have said goodbye to my last one, just a few months away from turning 26, that does make it, in my opinion, a whole different type of difficult. Not, not worse or easier, just different kind of pain than never having gotten to know them or have a relationship with them at all. Because I'm not in that, that person's shoes that never had a relationship with their grandparents, so I wouldn't presume that my pain is worse than theirs. But there is some truth to the fact that when you see them talk about somebody they never got to know, there's not really a sense of loss there because they didn't know them. But again, I'm not going to presume to say that my pain is worse or easier to deal with, nor should those other people. Because again, like I've always said, loss is felt the most when you lose someone who means the utmost to you, who means a great deal to you. So having those memories and then wanting to make more and then realizing that you can't because that person's gone and they were in your life for so long and meant so much to you for that amount of time. It's just a different pain, guys. And believe me, that in itself also makes it very difficult. Getting to know them. Spending what has been your entire life with them up to whatever point it is that they pass. Having as many great times as you do with them, like I did with all of my grandparents up until they all each individually passed away. Them being as important to you as they were. That is very difficult to deal with too, and on a whole other level than another person who never got to know theirs very well or at all. Again, not saying it's easier or worse. It's just different. And in its own right, it is also very, very difficult to come to terms, very difficult, with the fact that you are not going to see them again, at least on this planet. And you just feel lost. You feel lost. And that's how I feel after having lost my final grandparent about a week and a half ago, my Nana, my dad's mom. And all four of them are now beyond this world's petty issues compared to the next place, depending on what you believe in or don't believe in when it pertains to any sort of afterlife. But they're beyond it now. Can't help but envy them sometimes when it comes to the place that this world is in and many facets that it is experiencing its troubles. But nonetheless, I will miss you, Nana, a ton. I miss my Nani so much that it physically aches still seven months later. Actually, yesterday was exactly seven months. She's gone now. So all my grandparents, I miss them so much. And what I would do... What I would give to have one more conversation with all of them. It's just, can't even put it into words. The words don't exist. So, I will miss you, Nana. Did a great job. As did all of them. And, uh, 
I'll have to find a way to live without all of you now. And that's really hard to even say. So, I've I've done my crying, like I said, I've done my thinking, so I'm holding it together here. I was not able to hold it together when my other grandmother passed, because not that, it's not a contest at all, but inevitably, when you have all, all of your grandparents around for a decent amount of time, you're of course closer to some than others, inevitably, unless they happen to all live near the same area, and you're equally as close to all of them, in that case, great. But I happened to be a bit closer to my mom's parents, and my mom's mom was the one that passed away back in December, so I could not hold back at any point when it came to that. But I, trust me, I love all four of my grandparents a great, great deal. And losing this one, it was very tough, especially given the fact that it was my final one. And, um, and fortunately, because of all the crying I've done, whether it be on my own time or in front of others at the services and whatnot... I'm somehow able to hold it together right now, so um, so that's why I didn't do an episode last weekend. I'm it was just not in the headspace to do it. I almost wasn't in the headspace to do it today, um, but I've almost forced myself in front of the mic because I feel like I should do one. I feel like it'll help my, get my mind off things, and although the whole episode up to this point really has been talking about this, so not really much to get my mind off of it, but... But it will be once we get to the Yankee talk in a couple of minutes. But I just felt like I wanted to to just do an episode today. Now, because I'm not in the full mindset to really hammer out like a like a one hour and twenty minute episode, which probably inevitably would be if I did this, because that's what it's been lately. But because I never shut up. But because I'm not really in the mindset to really hammer out like an hour and a half, like I've done a lot lately, which I probably should shorten a little bit, but. A lot of you like the hour and a half episodes, but anyways, I'm not really in the mindset to do that long of an episode this time around, so I'm not doing a social media segment today. I'll just tell you guys that right now. I'll just continue my general conversation here in the introduction, and then we'll recap the last week or two since we last spoke, and that'll be it for today. I'll definitely do a social media segment next week because next week there's not going to be nearly as many games to recap considering this week is the all-star break. Then we'll only have a double header on Thursday in Houston to recap, and couple of games against the Orioles next weekend, who, by the way, the Orioles, my God, how about them? A 500 record now. And with that, the AL East, by far the only division in baseball now where all five teams within that division have a 500 record or better. Isn't that something? The Orioles, no longer a complete laughing matter. (laughs) But anyways, we're only going to have those games to recap next weekend, so I will definitely have a lot more time and probably a lot more patience and wherewithal to do a social media segment next week, but this week I just, I don't really have it in me to do that long of discussing. But please don't get me wrong, this is still going to be an episode that is fun as hell. Please do not misunderstand me. (laughs) We'll still spend probably at least around an hour between this intro and recap in the last week or two. But that's the deal for this week. No social media segment, but we're still going to have a hell of a time. We are back again here on Yapping Yankees. But before we really get into it, I just want to say once more that Nana, I love you very much. I will miss you very much. I already do. And um, I miss all my grandparents a lot. And uh, it's really tough to fathom what I'm supposed to do exactly for however much longer I'm here without them because they have been 
that huge in my life, all of them. My mom's dad passed when I was 14, but before that, I was so close to him. Because again, my mom's parents, I was extremely close to them. Um, so I've been without him for about 11 years now. Um, my dad's dad, I miss him very much. He passed away about three and a half years ago. My mom's mom, she was like my second mother. That was literally like a death blow to me back in December, and I'm still not over it. I don't think I ever will be. And now this, of course, is still very recent, and my final grandparent, my dad's mom, who I also loved very much. I will miss the Scrabble games. I will miss Solitaire. I play Solitaire because of her. I just love those kind of games now because she showed me them when I was young. I will miss the silver dollar pancakes on sleepovers. I'll miss the popcorn. I'll miss watching baseball with her and Papa in the TV room, my dad's dad. My dad's dad was a big Met fan. I've mentioned him on the show before. And he was a big Brooklyn Dodger fan before the Mets came around and the Dodgers moved out of Brooklyn. I'll miss the delicious banana cream pie and the chocolate pudding pie. One of the only things I'll have with chocolate in it because, fun fact, I think I've said this before, I actually despise chocolate, which I always get a lot of crap for, but... Her chocolate pudding pie was so good that it actually just made me straight up forget that I hate chocolate. <laughs> so I'll miss the great baking. And speaking of making stuff too, my other grandmother, my nanny, my mom's mom was the best cook on the face of the earth. Been pretty lucky all my life when it comes to food, especially on my mom's side because they literally, my grandparents on my mom's side came from Italy. So I just miss all of it. I miss all of it. I miss all of them. And... It's just not the same, knowing that I can't even call any of them anymore. Yeah. Hold it together, Mike. <laughs> so, I know it's it's very very personal, very like therapeutic almost on the mic here to begin episode 146 here, but I just, you know, I had to give my reason. I got my feels a little bit. What are you going to do? That's, that's life lately, because like I told you, and I hate to really say this to put a downer on things, but I'm just being honest. The last year of my life just has not been good. It hasn't been. But I've just done my best to keep on pushing forward as best as I could. Of course, after the devastating loss of my grandmother and everything else that happened, even things I didn't mention, at the end of last year, that was all reason, all part of it combined, especially my grandmother, which is why I took my hiatus. Last December into January, I was gone for about a month. By far the most time I've ever taken off in the over three years of yapping Yankees, but it had to be done. Um, taking off last week and for like Mother's Day and Father's Day. Most weeks, you know, 90% of weeks I've still churned out an episode and I'm proud of all of them. And all of you continue to give me fantastic feedback, which always helps boost me up. Please don't think that it doesn't. It really does. And I've just done my best to keep on pushing forward, moving forward. Despite how tough this last year has been. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to try my best to make it through this season. I mean, I, I really want to. I mean, it'd really suck if I just chose to stop here for a while because the Yankees are obviously having a beyond historic season, and this is the last season where I want to stop any sort of content pertaining to the Yankees because of what's happening. Of course, personal lives and, you know, mental health is much more important. But as long as I feel like at least a part of me could churn out a half-decent Yapping Yankees episode and still go to work every day, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and I'm doing it here today. So, 
that's the deal. Obviously, it's already the middle of July as the season continues to fly by, as it always does. Doesn't matter if it's 162. Always bolts right by as quick as any other sport. It's just crazy. It's July 17th, guys. Wow. And here on July 17th, this would be a very different discussion if I had done an episode last Sunday. Obviously, I was not in any headspace to do it. But this would be a very different episode if I did one last Sunday or maybe even a couple of days ago because, to be honest with you, the last week and a half of Yankees baseball before these last two games against Boston here to finish off this weekend series, it hasn't been great, (laughs) to say the least. It has not been that great. There have been injuries that have happened. Fortunately, they've also gotten some guys back. Mainly, it's been the pitching and the bullpen, both of which have been fantastic for about 90% plus of the 2022 season. The whole team's been fantastic, but two major strengths have been starting pitching and bullpen. And those things started to fall apart a bit, especially in games that the Yankees definitely shouldn't have lost. Now, I've said this many a time, everybody else has said this many a time, because it's the truth. But even the best of teams in history go through their little slumps throughout the season. Even the 98 team did every every now and again. Every team does. Even if they close in on 115, 120 wins, they'll go through a week or so where they don't look so good. <laughs> because that is just the up and down nature, the ebb and flow, peaks and valleys of a long ass marathon of a season like the baseball season is. <laughs> it's inevitable. You're going to go through your tiny stretches where you lose games that you shouldn't, that you look like crap. <laughs> It's inevitable. But I'll tell you, just like I am back again today, last couple of days against Boston, these murderous games in the Bronx against the arch-rival Boston Red Sox is making it look like the Yankees are back again as well. Which is why the episode title is even more appropriate. (laughs) everybody's back again. I'm back with an episode this weekend, and the Yankees are back overall this weekend in their series against Boston. So, before that, it was really, really strange, because when I left you last, the Yankees were headed into a series against Pittsburgh. Quick two-game set in Pittsburgh. And it was not fun. (laughs) At all, really. The first game they lost in a game that they definitely should not have, and it was really baffling. Uh, Tyone started the game. First game back in Pittsburgh, believe it or not, since he left the Pirates, since he was traded from them. And he had a bit of a rough time there. And put that along with the fact that the Yankees' offense had trouble getting some runs across and blowing scoring opportunities. They ended up losing that one. Fortunately, the next day, they ended up winning and made the Pirates pay for winning the day before because the Yankees won 16 to nothing the next day. So they did have a bounce back. Just call it a bad night, whatever. Then they moved on to their four-game set in Boston, won the first two games. Then they lost a game on Saturday in extra innings in the 10th inning that they definitely should not have lost. Definitely should not have lost. That one was tough to watch. And that was actually, on a serious note, also on the day of my grandmother's funeral. So that was not... A pleasant day for me, Saturday the 9th. Then Sunday the 10th, the Yankees lost again, so worse things could happen than a series split, but they did split the series. I would have liked 
three out of four, especially considering they should especially not have lost on Saturday, particularly. But then they lost 11-6 on Sunday in a game that it looked like, again, the Yankees were in control with. They were winning 6-3. to three. And then again, which, when we'll recap through the games, and like you've probably seen yourself the last couple of weeks, again, the pitching just fell apart. And it really shows what happens to this Yankee team when the pitching falls apart, because the offense has still done their job a vast majority of the time. But if you're pitching constantly just collapses and you're bringing in one guy after the other that doesn't have it it's tough to win ball games <laughs> it's really tough so then the Yankees were off again last Monday then they had a two games or three game set rather at the stadium against the Reds and <laughs> let me just try to put this as kindly as possible this series was putrid <laughs> the first night having lost four to three Especially given something happened that none of us could have predicted. So unpredictable. And the odds of this happening were probably so slim that whoever bet on this to happen could probably be a millionaire right about now. (laughs) I'm of course exaggerating, but just letting you know how low the possibility was of something like this happening, yet it happened. Clay Holmes, of all people, who has been an absolute gem for the Yankees this year. Going back to last year, since they acquired him at the deadline, of course. He melts down against the Cincinnati Reds, who are amongst the worst teams in the sport currently. Just a thing that you would never imagine taking place happened. Then the next night, in the middle game of the series, it took the Yankees everything they had just to scrape away a win in extra innings against the Reds. A win's a win, but it was still an ugly one. I'll take an ugly win over a pretty loss, as they say. Win is a win, but it was... And then the next night on Thursday, they went to the 10th inning again against the Reds and lost this time by the same score they won by the night prior. Just a really putrid series, just like the Yankees were not putting their all into it. The pitchers did not have it. And the offense did their job in the first game. They put up three runs, had Clay Holmes on the mound in the top of the ninth, up three to nothing against a horrible team. What could go wrong, right? (laughs) And then the next night, the Yankees put up seven runs. Fortunately, they scrape away a win in extra innings. And then the next night, they still put up another six, but then they lose. The pitching, I mean, the offense was resilient like they have been for the vast majority of the season. And the pitching has been great for the vast majority of the season. But the last week or week and a half, pitching's been a bit shaky. (laughs) And then you move on to Friday, just a couple of days ago. I mean, you got Chapman coming in in a tie game, which I, bringing in Chapman at any capacity now, and I tweeted this, this loss is not mainly on him, especially given what happened afterwards when he was already out of the game for a couple innings. But, I mean, bringing him in in any capacity, I don't care if the score is 30-3, to three, if it's some absurd football-esque score, you bring in Chapman at any point and you are just asking for trouble. And you got trouble in this game because Bobby Dahlbeck hit a crucial go-ahead solo shot off him in the seventh inning to put the Red Sox ahead at the time. And then you consider the true reason they lost in the ninth and 10th innings, not coming up with a run on so much as a fly ball with the bases loaded and nobody out in the bottom of the ninth, bases loaded one out in the bottom of the 10th and blowing both of them without getting one run across. You can't expect to win that way. And guess what? They didn't win. Because, again, you can't expect to win that way. 
And then they ended up losing on a wild pitch in the top of the 11th, giving the Red Sox their fifth and final run of the night, and the Yankees couldn't come back in the bottom of the 11th. They lost 5-4. to four. And you know what? They deserved to lose that game. The Yankees deserved to lose that game. It would have been morally incorrect for them to win that game because for them to blow those chances they did and still expect to somehow win this game and not have the Red Sox take advantage of something at some point or just have some freak thing go wrong like the wild pitch in the top of the 11th, you'd just be lying to yourself. And the Yankees could have come back again in the bottom of the 11th, but they didn't. They deserved to lose. Fortunately, the rest of the weekend has turned out to be pretty damn fun, though, because yesterday they won 14-1 to behind Matt Carpenter, more like Jesus Christ at this point, behind his two three-run homers. He has just about 80 at-bats now. Guy has 13 freaking home runs and 34 RBIs in that time. Don't think anyone's ever done that. <laughs> the story this guy has turned out to be is just... There's no, there's no adjective to describe him. None. To say remarkable, incredible, speechless. It, it, it doesn't do it justice. <laughs> what Matt Carpenter has done. I want to remind. And this is, this is a credit to Cashman and the rest of the front office. Can't give them enough credit for this. When they make their moves like this, they pull these random-ass moves out of a hat that you think have no chance to turn out as anything special. But every now and again, you get one that does, and Matt Carpenter's another example. A guy who many consider to be just a washed-up veteran. His career's over. People are releasing him, cutting him. Nobody's calling him up. Yankees called him up. Took a chance on him. Now he's more often than not, as he should be, batting fifth and doing constant damage without any end in sight. The guy is unstoppable. So mainly behind him, scoring barrage yesterday. Today, they just won actually about five minutes ago. I didn't even mention it. They won 13-2 today. And now the Yankees head into the All-Star break feeling very good about themselves after finishing off the series correctly, just killing Boston one day after the other. And it would have been nice, and I tweeted this just before, (laughs) and I even got a guy asking me, I'm just going to guess you're a glass-half-empty kind of a guy. It depends on the situation. But but I was just saying, it would have been really nice if the Yankees just didn't go full moron in the bottom of the ninth and bottom of the tenth innings on Friday, able to push one lousy run across, and... Therefore, having been able to sweep Boston heading into the All-Star break, that would have been really nice. But then, to show that I'm kind of doing some satire, half yes, half no, (laughs) I put underneath in that tweet, God, I'm spoiled. (laughs) So it's whatever. Listen, I'm happy the Yankees took the series, and I'm especially happy that both of the last two games have turned out the way they have. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. Don't get me wrong, please. (laughs) Having a lot of fun over the last couple of days. But before these last couple of days, if you had any content released before this, you would have gotten different episodes. I discussed this two weeks ago when I was like, oh, you know, it would have done this on that certain day would have been different. And how that sort of a thing changes up someone's plans for content. You know, teams on a certain trend heading into a certain day would have been a very different episode than if something else happens that day and you do something the next day after that. 
And you say, oh, you know, things have changed now. You're in a different mindset. The fan base is in a different mindset. The team's in a different mindset. So now you got a different sort of an episode coming. Well, that's that's what's happened in the last couple of days. You would have gotten this episode or any other Yankees content episode that you've gotten before yesterday. It's probably very different. And this probably would have been very different. But after today, <laughs> heading into the All-Star break, if you're a Yankee fan, if you're on the Yankees, you're probably feeling a bit better. Because the last... Last week or week and a half, like I said before, hasn't been pretty for the Yankees. It hasn't been. I'm not going to deny that, but last couple of days, they've been on sort of a bounce back. So it's been a baffling last couple of weeks <laughs> for the Yankees. It, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. But a lot else has happened with the Yankees outside of just the games. Like I said before, some injuries, some injury returns, some releases taking place first and foremost. The first major piece of news, basically all of it came from this past week. Two weeks ago, for the week that I missed since I didn't do an episode last Sunday, not much happened news-wise. But this past week was basically when everything happened, so I guess it works out But <laughs> with having missed last week. But this past week, the Yankees released Greg Bird from his minor league contract. So it wasn't working out in the minors. Greg Bird yet again released. So no longer in the Yankees system again. <laughs> Also a big piece of news as of Wednesday, Luis Severino was having shoulder tightness, imploded at the beginning of the game, was taken out after just two innings of work, and that was also after he gave up three home runs in a row. In a row. (laughs) So it was just a rough night, and, and everybody was noticing his velocity was lower. He was doing some arm movements after each pitch. He just didn't look right. And then when he was taken out after the second inning, everybody was nervous, especially, of course, given Luis Severino's health issues the last few years. The fact that if he would have had a normal length start on Wednesday, he would have been around 90 innings total on the season already. And he hasn't thrown more than, I don't know, in the teens or low 20s in innings since 2018. And now he has almost 90 already this season, and it's only mid-July. So... I guess this could act as Luis Severino's time off because, of course, the Yankees weren't going to let him throw like 200 innings this year. I mentioned that from the very beginning of the year. The most you'll probably see him throw is about 150-ish. And he was on pace to go past that at this point if he hadn't gotten hurt. So this will inevitably be his time off. His arm, obviously, is a bit taxed. And it's thrown a lot more than it has at this point in the season since 2018. In any year since then. So... With the shoulder tightness, he was diagnosed with a low-grade lat strain. He was put on the 15-day IL, and he is to not throw for the next two weeks. And he received this diagnosis a few days ago, of course, since this happened on Wednesday. So probably about another week and a half of no throwing at all, give or take. And then they'll see where he's at probably as the season gets closer to August, bring him back for a bit maybe, and maybe gear him up for the playoffs a bit. Or maybe you put him out for long relief in the bullpen in the playoffs, depending on where his arm is, his inning total is at that point. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to say anything's for certain at this point, especially when we don't even know what the future is with him. We have to see where he is when he even starts throwing again. And you start him up on a rehab assignment. So we'll see what happens with that. But for now, he is to not throw. And the Yankees, in the meantime, I know a lot of people's focus has shifted to their need to acquire a potential starting pitcher, which I definitely would not mind at all. Luis Castillo has obviously been on the forefront of said discussion, as he has been for a couple of years now in the Yankee community. It would take a lot to get him. I'm aware of that. 
if it costed Oswald Peraza and maybe a couple of more top 15 prospects, I think I consider it. Can never have too much p- pitching, especially with Luis Severino being down now. But it's complicated, Luis Severino going down. But the Yankees also probably feel as if they have some internal options, and they do. J.P. Sears has been terrific. You have Clark Schmidt. You have Domingo Herman coming back, who I know a lot of people just want nothing to do with, especially with personal reasons, and I definitely understand that. But you got him coming back, J.P. Sears, Clark Schmidt, who has been stretched out as a starter, by the way, in the minors, which has now turned out to be a fantastic idea by the Yankees early on. So you have some options internally, too. We'll have to see what, what they think. If they think they'll be good with maybe a Clark Schmidt or a J.P. Sears taking over in the meantime while Severino heals up, and then when he comes back, just going right back to him. We'll have to see where they are. Or if they will look into getting a Luis Castillo, and there have been reports that they've reached out, but no guarantee, of course, that anything's going to take place. We are only a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline, which is set for August 2nd this year. They pushed it to August because, of course, the... First week of the regular season was postponed because of the CBA disaster. So, we know that that's the deal. They may be looking for Luis Castillo. There is discussion going on about potential need for starting pitching in light of Luis Severino going down. And even with, as I said, the last week or two, the pitching taking a bit of a hit. Because the pitching has not been great. I, for one, am patient with such things because they've been so great for so much of the season. And they are inevitably going to hit a bit of a rough patch. Severino struggling here and there. Tyone was not doing well at all. Tyone, as a matter of fact, for about four or five consecutive starts until yesterday's start against Boston was pretty horrible. <laughs> Montgomery's had his hiccups definitely the last couple of weeks. And we even know that even though his last start was good, that even Nestor came back down to earth a little bit. Garrett Cole's been really good lately. He had his clunker in Boston, but... Not only was that mainly thanks to Rafael Devers, but also when you dodge that start, and of course it's a start, so you don't, you know, there's no dodging it, but you should include it. But outside of that start for some time now, Garrett Cole has obviously been mainly on the money. He's done a fantastic job, but a lot of the pitching in the starting rotation has definitely been having their rough starts of late, and the bullpen, a lot of the time, has really coughed up a couple of games here and there that they should not have lost. <laughs> you have to lose because, like I said, no matter how close to perfect the team is, you're going to have those those games that they happen. You're going to have those little points in time for about a week or two that the struggles happen. A lot of people overreact to them. I'm not thrilled about them, of course, when they happen, as no fan should be. But try to remember where the Yankees are. <laughs> Just try to remember that. But yeah, so that's a lot of discussion. With Luis Severino going down. He wouldn't be the only injury that happened, though, because along with Luis Severino not being able to throw for the next two weeks, Miguel Castro out in the bullpen will not be throwing for four weeks because he is now having shoulder issues. So, that's Miguel Castro down as well. Obviously, I don't want anybody to get hurt. I hate injuries, especially if you want to talk about injuries. How about what happened to Sale today? Oh, my God. We'll talk about that a bit later, but good Lord in heaven. I I couldn't even look at that. That was hard to watch. But anyways, never want a guy going down to injury. But if you had to lose someone out in the bullpen, you're probably not, not too heartbroken that it has to be Miguel Castro. Not losing any sleep over it. Again, obviously, you don't want anybody at all getting hurt. Hate injuries. I hate them. But 
I'm just saying, if you had a gun put to your head and the person said, choose someone to lose out in the Yankee bullpen if you absolutely had to, Miguel Castro is probably one of those people, inevitably. He's one of the weak links. What are you going to do? When he's on, the guy's terrific because he's got good stuff. But when he's off, watch out. <laughs> it's like a right-handed Aroldis Chapman. But anyways, he's not going to be throwing for four weeks, but hopefully a speedy recovery for him. Ron Marinaccio, who we discussed a couple of weeks ago, had ex- he was experiencing a dead arm despite how great he had been. Well, some good news. He's currently on a rehab assignment right now, so he's working his way back. As far as coming back, another comeback that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago from a guy who was very close, Jonathan Loizaga has since returned. Great to see him back. Had a tough inning luck-wise in the Red Series in his first time back. Got a bloop hit. Some bad luck in the field. His defender's not really picking him up in the infield. So, rough time for him there. Didn't really get barreled up too much, but it's good to see him back nonetheless. And if he is any, if he's even a fraction of the Loizaga of old and he is really healthy, then look out. Big addition to the bullpen there. I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Loisaga, as a lot of you guys know. Love me some Johnny Loisaga out in the bullpen. A couple other pieces of news. The Yankees, uh, I could not believe this when they announced this. (laughs) They actually reacquired. Ready for this? They reacquired a man who I just had a a lot of problems with because he just really, other than speed, which he didn't even really correctly utilize some of the time even, but other than that, really brought nothing to the table for this organization. And although I wish him the best of luck when he was traded away like I do everybody, I never wanted to see him back here again. And unfortunately, (laughs) he is back. Not in the Major League Club. Still down in the minors, and he, and he may continue to be down there. The Yankees really especially don't have a need for him at all right now, so that he could end up just being down there, and this is just not really a, a, a discussion that needs to be had. But nonetheless, the Yankees reacquired Tyler Wade from the Angels, whom they traded him to in the offseason, obviously. They reacquired him in a trade for a player to be named later, or Cash, because let's be honest... That is all he's probably worth, if even that. (laughs) But he is down in AAA. I don't mean to be overly harsh to the guy, but I had enough of him a while ago. And again, although I wished him the best, I was glad to see him just finally not be on the Yankees anymore. And when I saw this trade announced, I was just like, you have absolutely got to be freaking kidding me, bro. You have got to be freaking kidding me. But again, he's down in the minors, so... And he might end up staying there. He started out in Scranton, and he might stay down there. So that's the deal with that. So Tyler Wade's back, but he is in the minors. Nothing really else to say beyond that. And one more real piece of news I guess we can talk about when it comes to some other potential trade discussion that we've spoken a lot about. We spoke a lot about this two weeks ago, especially in our last social media segment when it was a big discussion about the Yankees potentially acquiring an outfielder, which suddenly now might not even need to happen because of Matt Carpenter. And no, I don't expect Matt Carpenter to continue to play at the insane level that he's played at for the duration of the rest of the year. No, I'm not that unrealistic. But I'd also be insane to say that the guy has not proven his worth here in what he has done in such little time. And I think he deserves to stay here for a while. I do. And if people want to consider him an outfield solution, then so be it. But I definitely won't be opposed to still acquiring someone on the outside. No doubt about that. But then again, of course, the discussion has somewhat shifted since the pitching has taken a bit of a hit the last couple of weeks. And Severino is down due to injury, which you have to feel awful about again because, you know, like I, like we always say, 
Look at the past few years for Severino. It's just been a myriad of unending injuries, but he's done a very fine job, especially considering how long it's been since he regularly started in Major League Baseball. He's done a terrific job so far, all things considered, and you just hope that it's as speedy of a recovery as possible with him. But it has added to the discussion of acquiring a starter now. Again, mainly led by Luis Castillo. That's the main one everybody's talking about. But amongst the outfield discussion, this was something revealed when the Kansas City Royals headed to Toronto this weekend for their weekend series against the Blue Jays. And obviously Toronto has their rule right now that anybody who's unvaccinated outside of the country, outside of Canada, they cannot play in Toronto. They cannot play games against the Blue Jays at Rogers Center. That's the international vaccine rule that Canada has in place right now. Andrew Benintendi, of course, on the Royals, who was a centerpiece in the outfield trade discussion that everybody's been having for some time now, in people wanting to get rid of Joey Gallo, even wanting to get rid of Aaron Hicks, which, again, Aaron Hicks in the last few weeks has somewhat taken a turnaround. He has. I'll give him that, and I love to see it. I don't wish bad on any player, no matter how crazy they drive me. And I've still been a man of my word with not criticizing him since it's huge home run against Houston, have I not? <laughs> but nonetheless, Joey Gallo would obviously be the easier one to get rid of. But in the outfield discussions, Benintendi was a centerpiece in it. But it was revealed that he was not able to play in Toronto, which gave away the fact that he is obviously, he must be, unvaccinated. And when where the Yankees are concerned, the Yankees only have a few more games left in Toronto in the entire season, but they might run into them in the playoffs. And if that's to happen, and Benintendi is still unvaccinated by then, if he were to be traded to the Yankees, that might present a bit of a problem, because then you'd be without what would be one of your main outfielders <laughs> in vital potential playoff games in Toronto if you're to run into them. So that changed a lot of people's views on him, and it did mine a little bit too. I am, I'll just say right now, I'm a firm believer in making your own choice when it comes to this. I do not judge either way. But strictly in baseball terms, might present a bit of a problem if you have to play a big series over there with, without one of the guys who would be one of your main outfielders. So that, pre- that presents a bit of a problem and had some people shy away from Benintendi a bit and turn their focus a bit more towards guys or Juan Soto, because the craze around him is returned after he turned down the latest offer from the Nationals, totaling around $440 million. And it's been said that the Yankees might try to at least inquire about what it would take to get such a guy like Juan Soto. Obviously, it'd probably cost an arm and a leg, meaning a ton of top prospects. And because I've never really been able to find it realistic for the Yankees, I just find it difficult to hop on that excitement bandwagon, as much as I would love him on the Yankees. But the craze around him is returned. Or maybe just saying that, hey, a guy like Matt Carpenter could be a solution. And you have a great backup in Tim LaCastro, too, who has returned from injury and has done a fine job stealing bases. Had a great game against Boston today. <laughs> so a lot of people are actually maybe willing to settle with the outfield the way it is now with the addition of Carpenter, with Carpenter even able to DH a bit and Stanton being out there and Judge being out there. And having Hicks and Carpenter be an option along with a guy like Tim LaCastro on the bench. And if you absolutely have to, if he's not backing up at shortstop, even Marvin Gonzalez because he can play anywhere. So a lot of people are willing to settle there and maybe just turn their focus to starting. But regardless, 
the reveal of Benintendi apparently not being vaccinated did have some people shy away, and I thought that was that was newsworthy because, I mean, everybody's been talking about Benintendi and wanting him as a potential outfield option externally, outside of the Yankees organization, looking for potential options out there, and he was a big one of them. Other than that, that's really all aside from the All-Star game coming up, and they did announce the Yankee All-Stars officially. The Yankees have six going. It's the most Yankees that have gone to an All-Star game since I believe 2011 I saw, but the six are Judge, Stanton, Cole, Nestor, Trevino, and Clay Holmes. Now, five of those I basically said would be locks. I said that a while back when I think in a social media segment someone asked me which Yankees should go to the All-Star game. Pretty sure I mentioned all of them. I said, I think I said, maybe, I could be wrong. I think I said that Trevino could possibly be considered, and he is going. He was over the moon about it, which was cool to see, which I always love. Big fan of Trevino here, as you guys know, as many of you know. So I was very happy to hear that. The other five I knew would be locks. The ones that I'm pretty unhappy about, and... I believe also in that same social media segment, in that same question that I was asked, somebody asked me who could possibly fight their way into it. One of the names I said was Glaber Torres, and I was right about him in the sense that he should have fought his way into it if people knew how to choose the proper players for certain positions. <laughs> but they don't. And this is yet another example of the millions that we have already in the history of the All-Star Game, of players just being completely and utterly robbed of an opportunity. Now, I know a lot of people will say there's no need to get all bent out of shape over it because it's a meaningless exhibition game. It doesn't even have any meaning now, as opposed to when it at least decided which side had home field advantage in the World Series a few years ago, which I also thought was dumb, but regardless, even that's been taken away from the game. So the game literally has no meaning now, aside from just being able to put... Uh, a person's been an all-star this many times on someone's resume. <laughs> but it's a nice thing to have on your resume, but the, the game itself doesn't mean anything. And it's an exhibition game. It's just, it's meaningless. So a lot of people say, oh, don't get all bent out of shape about it. And I don't. But right is right and wrong is wrong, guys. And the fact of the matter is, the second that Altuve was scratched due to injury, Glaber should have been the second baseman. And if you think that I'm being a biased Yankee fan, I had this entire discussion on my last episode that I literally just go by what I see and I go by the specific stats. So it's objectivity at its finest. There's no bias involved with me. I've always been one of very few fans who has the ability to look at a couple of players, regardless of whether or not one of those players is on my team, and objectively be able to decide which player is better. And I did so again here. The second baseman they ended up electing to take over for Altuve is Santiago Espinal. And I'll be the first to tell you that that is horse crap. If you look at literally every single stat, and I'm not exaggerating, every single stat. The closest thing is batting average. And I think they're only a couple of points away from each other. But I think Glaber even has the edge there. Every Stat. Glaber is better. Fielding. Glaber is better. I mean, you could look at their war, their batting average, their home runs, their RBIs, their on-base percentage, their OPS, their OPS+, their WRC+. You could look at anything you want. Glaber Torres is better than Santiago Espinal. 
he was robbed. And if you want to say otherwise, if you have a problem, if you're listening to this episode or any other person acknowledging the true fact that Glaber Torres was robbed, then tune out because I don't have any use for you. And that means that you have an inability to be objective. Glaber was robbed. That's all there is to it. I'm not even getting into it any further because it's not worth my time and it's not worth my time with any other people who think otherwise because it's a fact. No bias involved. And another player that I feel should have been there, but I'm, I'm a little more lenient with relief pitchers. It's whatever. But I think Michael King should have maybe gotten a nod to go as well because King's had a terrific season. Look at King's stats. He's terrific. So... It's whatever. We all know that the All-Star Game is, you know, just a sham of a popularity contest. We've gone over it ad nauseum, but it's just annoying when guys get so obviously and outrageously snubbed of an opportunity. It's just annoying. So I just wanted to address that a bit. But those are the All-Stars going. Yankees have six going. Again, of those names, Judge, Stanton, Cole, Nestor, Trevino, Holmes. Probably should have a seventh in there with Torres. And if you want to even include a potential eighth, Michael King. But other than that, that's fine. I know a lot of people were also bothered by Rizzo not going because Rizzo, aside from his batting average, also has himself some fine stats. Obviously, he's having himself a fine season. But, yeah, especially Glaber should have definitely been a seventh after Altuve was removed. And uh, I guess you could stop after that. You could you could make your arguments about Rizzo and King if you want. But the main one I'm vouching for is Glaber. That was as outrageous as it gets. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's really it. Those are the Yankees going to the All-Star game as the All-Star break is just around the corner this week. But before we get there, before we get called up, we got to recap the last week or two, guys. So let's hop into that Yapping Yankees time machine and recap this last week or two of Yankees baseball. So let's... And as Palpatine in Star Wars says, Yes, yes, you don't have to remind me. I know I'm a Star Wars nerd, okay? I know. (laughs) All right. So going back two Sundays ago, again, we did get to talk about the game two Sundays ago, I believe... Which one was that? Yeah, that was the game against the Guardians. Yeah, when they lost 2 to nothing. Pretty sure we spoke about that. So, obviously the next day, the 4th of July, we established was a day off. And I do hope you all had a happy 4th of July. Happy and safe 4th of July. They were off that day. Moved on to Tuesday, the 5th. As I said before, this was Tyone's return to Pittsburgh, and it was not a fun return for him. He went five and a third innings, allowing five runs, six hits, struck out five, but a rough start for him. Just another one of those starts in that group of about four or five consecutive that he just did not have an easy go at it. The Yankee offense only put up two runs on an Aaron Judge RBI single and a Matt Carpenter RBI single late in the eighth inning when they were down five to one. And Tyone gave up his runs on a solo shot by Daniel Vogelbach, a two-run shot by Jack Sawinski, Ben Gamble getting an RBI double, and then in the sixth inning before he was taken out, O'Neill Cruz with the sacrifice fly. Five runs total. The Yankees scored their two on the Judge RBI single and the Carpenter RBI single, as I said. Not nearly enough to win, blowing a bunch of scoring chances throughout the night. Yankees would fall 5-2 to two in a tough loss against a bad Pittsburgh team. But the next night, again, was just a barrage. 
I don't think there's really any other way to put it. Also behind a solid start by Luis Severino. Six shutout innings, only giving up four hits, striking out three, not walking any. So he had himself a fine start. And the offense, my God, sit back and listen to this if you don't already remember it yourself. DJ LeMayhew, top of the fifth, two-run single. Top of the sixth, Josh Donaldson, solo shot, seventh of the year, about time he does something. Joey Gallo. Solo shot of his own. His 10th of the year made it 4 to nothing. Just about the last thing he did except for a garbage time homer today. In a time period where everybody still just wants Joey Gallo off the team because he just continues to do less than nothing. Not to just unnecessarily slander amidst continued good times, but it's just the truth. I'm sorry. Top of the 7th, Kyle Higashioka even got in on it. Solo shot made it 5 to nothing. It was his 5th on the year. Top of the 8th, and on, this is this is when it really got nuts. Aaron Judge, grand slam for his 30th home run of the year. Obviously, within the last three, four weeks or so, Aaron Judge hasn't been doing as much. I obviously do not want to say that Aaron Judge full-on sucked because he still does his thing out in the field, and he still came through every once in a blue moon offensively, but he had definitely visibly slowed down from what he had been doing prior but this time, he came through with a very nice grand slam to left field, made it 9 to nothing for his 30th of the year. Josh Donaldson hit a sack fly after that in the same inning, made it 10 to nothing. Aaron Hicks hit a grand slam in the top of the ninth, made it 14 to nothing. John Carlos Stanton, at this point, the Pirates had position players pitching. John Carlos Stanton with a solo shot his 21st of the year after that, made it 15 to nothing. Kyle Higashioka, RBI single, made it 16 to nothing. And that would be the final. <laughs> a barrage in Pittsburgh. So they would end up splitting the series. Would have liked, obviously, a quick two-game series sweep, but it is what it is. Yankees won 16 to nothing. They would then move on to Boston the next night. This was the four-game set at Fenway Park. Garrett Cole would kick things off. He would go six innings still, allowed five runs, all of them, thanks to Rafael Devers. So if you just say, oh, if not for Devers, he would have done a nice job, that's probably true. But still, listen, can't get Devers out, can't get Devers out. <laughs> that's just the fact of the matter. And he still walked three guys, gave up five hits. He did strike out seven, but not a great start, especially, again, thanks to Rafael Devers, who hit a two-run shot off him in the bottom of the third, and then a three-run shot off him in the bottom of the fifth off of what was honestly a really good pitch, a low and away changeup. It's baffling. <laughs> Even Cole looked like he was just like, what the hell am I supposed to do over here? After this home run, he had that look on his face after it left into the stands. It was just crazy. <laughs> he just he can't get him out. He can't stop from giving him home runs. It's nuts. But again, the Yankees did still win this game, so I don't want to put like a negative spin on this game. But a lot of people were getting on Garrett Cole for not being able to get Rafael Devers out, but despite having given up the five runs, again, all thanks to Devers on his two and three run shots, Cole did still get the win because the Yankee offense did enough to win. Josh Donaldson in the top of the third hit a grand slam, made it four to nothing. Huge hit. Aaron Hicks hit a solo shot in that same inning, made it five to nothing. So it was five nothing in the third. Yankees feeling real good. Then in the bottom of the third, that was when Devers hit his first of two home runs, the two-run shot. After that, in the top of the fifth, the Yankees would get one of those two runs back on a Trevino RBI double, which should have been caught, but it was a pop-up to first base, and Franchi Cordero just missed the ball. This was a very eventful night for the Red Sox fielders. Even in right field, Arroyo 
had that now meme of a play <laughs> where he couldn't see the ball at all, and it landed like, what was that, like 20, 30 feet behind him? Everybody was like, it's right there! <laughs> it was really funny. So interesting fielding night for the Red Sox, from that to Cordero here, but nonetheless, it drove in another run. That made it 6-2. to two. Bottom of the fifth, that was when Garrett Cole on, again, what was really a good changeup, well-placed, low and away, gave up a three-run shot to Devers, made it 6-5, to five. and Garrett Cole and everybody else was just like, I mean, we should probably just never pitch to this guy ever again. <laughs> but fortunately, despite the Yankees not putting up any more runs after that, the bullpen, which was a rare case at this point in time because of the last week or two that they've been, eh, <laughs> the bullpen managed to hold it down. Wande Peralta pitched an inning in a third, scoreless. Michael King finished off that the rest of that eighth inning, scoreless. And Clay Holmes got his 16th save in the ninth. And the Yankees were able to hold on for the 6-5 to five victory. Again, Cole would get a win, his eighth on the year at the time. The next night would be a lot of fun for the Yankees. And up until yesterday, every single game except for this one, really, between the Yankees and the Red Sox had been close. And now, really... All the Yankee victories with this one and both of them the last two days, they've been big victories. So this one was a nice one to watch as well. The Yankees would win this one 12-5. Starting this game was Nestor Cortez. Didn't have his best stuff again. Part of him coming back down to earth a bit. Three and two-thirds innings, giving up eight hits, four runs, walking two, only striking out four. So it was a rough one for him. Miguel Castro also pitched in this one, went an inning and a third scoreless. Albert Abreu pitched two-thirds of an inning. He would give up a run himself, and Lucas Lickie would finish off the last three and a third innings, earning his first save because, again, no matter what the score is, if you pitch three-plus innings out of the bullpen, you'll earn a save. The Yankees were winning big by this time, so... um. Not a great start for Nestor, but the offense, again, like they have been so often, and they have their days, of course, like any offense does, no matter how good they are, but like they have been for the vast majority of the season, they've had so many double-digit scoring games. This was another one. And again, like in the first game, they got started right away. Top of the first, RBI single, Glaber Torres. Josh Donaldson, three-run shot, another big home run. And I'll take these when I can get them because we know that Donaldson hasn't done nearly enough this year, so I'll take those when I can get them. Bottom of the first, though, this was unfortunately right when Nestor Cortez would begin to struggle. Christian Vasquez with a two-run double. That would make it 4-2. to two. Yankees would hit right back, though. Matt Carpenter, top of the second. RBI double would make it 5-2. to two. Very rare hit by Joey Gallo in the top of the third as well. Two-run triple. Tried to score coming home. Didn't make it in time. But nonetheless, that and this was actually the play where Arroyo lost the ball in the sky, not on Thursday. But again, just a part of the interesting Red Sox fielding mishaps at their own stadium that I was talking about before. But it was on this two-run triple that they ended up calling it that Arroyo just completely lost it with his arms out to his sides, being like, where the hell is this thing? And it landed way behind him. <laughs> so that made it 7-2. to Carpenter solo shot his ninth of the year, made it 8-2. to two. Another run would come home, the ninth one of the game, on a throwing error by catcher Christian Vasquez. So it was 9-2 to two at this point. Bottom of the fourth, this would be Cortez's last inning. Trevor Story would hit a solo shot off him, as would Bobby Dahlbeck. So that made it 9-4. to four. Nestor clearly didn't have his stuff. He would end up being taken out. 
In the bottom of the sixth, Xander Bogarts would drive home Rob Ref Snyder on an RBI ground out. That made it 9-5. That would be the last run the Red Sox scored. And the Yankees would continue to pile on after that to make it an easy win for themselves. Marvin Gonzalez on a sacrifice bunt would drive Hicks home in the top of the seventh. Top of the eighth, Glaber Torres, RBI double. Top of the ninth, Isaiah Conner-Falefa took a walk with the bases loaded. Always nice to see because of all the things that Isaiah Conner-Falefa does not do right, walking is another one that he does not do very often. (laughs) So that was nice to see him just take a walk and drive a run in. You can do that. It is totally fine. I promise. (laughs) That would make it 12-5, and that would, of course, be the score the Yankees would win by. Saturday would come around. This was the game that the Yankees just, I'm sorry, they should not have lost this game. Starting this game was Jordan Montgomery. He had himself a nice start. Five and two-thirds, two earned runs, five hits, four strikeouts, only walked one. This was a game that they should just not have lost. The Red Sox did open up the scoring against Monty, though. Bottom of the second, Bobby Dahlbeck got an RBI single to make it one nothing. Aaron Hicks hit a solo shot to tie the game up at one, his sixth of the year. Top of the sixth, the Yankees took control again. RBI double by Rizzo, RBI single by Donaldson, 3-1. to one. Rob Snyder, bottom of the sixth. This would be the final run that Montgomery gave up. It would be a solo shot to Snyder, former Yankee, of course, if you remember, that made it 3-2 to two Yankees. Bottom of the eighth now. At this point, Clay Holmes is in the game. He's brought in again for what they wanted to be a 4-5 out save, going back to the eighth inning. They didn't just want him to pitch the ninth. They tried it again like they did prior when he had a complete meltdown. And it didn't work again. Eventually, he would give up a game-tying RBI single to Alex Verdugo. That would make it 3-3. Fortunately, though, in the top of the 10th, the Yankee offense came back with the fake runner on second. They did their thing. They put two runs up on an RBI double by Judge and an RBI double by Anthony Rizzo. So top of the 10th, the Yankees winning 5-3. Clay Holmes was already used, so aside from the fact that he hadn't been good that week, still like, uh, who are they going to bring in now? They ended up bringing in Wandy Peralta, and it just didn't work out <laughs> at all. The inning would start off with a Ref Snyder single, putting Jaron Duran, who was the fake runner, at third base. And they actually got Christian Vasquez to fly out. No run scored, so one out. Jeter Downs then came up. First looks at him. Named after Jeter. Gets an RBI single. Not fun to watch. <laughs> Made it 5-4. to four. Xander Bogarts hit a ground ball down to Donaldson at third. He had a bobble, so a double play was not in the works. Which we really prayed it would be, and especially after the fact, knowing that they lost. Would have been awesome if it was, but nonetheless... He was able to rebound nicely and get the out at first at least. But then Alex Verdugo again in the bottom of the 10th. This guy has come through a lot in big situations against the Yankees. It's really annoying, especially because his season numbers just aren't even really that good this year at all. But he got a two-run single. Red Sox walked it off despite the effort of the Yankee offense in the top of the 10th to put on two runs. Didn't matter. Wande Peralta could not get the job done. Double play could not be made down at third by Donaldson. Just an ugly loss at Fenway Park. It was just just bad. Between if the bullpen didn't melt down late and then if they were able to get it done in the bottom of the 10th too, just again, another instance of, like I said before, just the pitching did not come through. Frustrating loss at Fenway. Made even more frustrating by the next day 
the last game of the weekend, which again, could be worse than a split, definitely. But it really should have been three out of four at Fenway, which would have been very nice. But the next night wasn't pleasant either because the pitching again would fall apart, especially considering the fact that Jameson Tyone, I mean, he was the main the main disaster of this game. I mean, Chapman didn't have an easy time either, allowing a run in the sixth. Miguel Castro in the seventh couldn't even get a freaking out, allowing four runs, but only two of them were earned. But it was just it was just a complete meltdown. It was. But especially considering the Yankees offense, what they tried to do to just do their best to leave Boston with a win and really rebound from the night before and still get three out of four, and the pitching just couldn't hold up. Top of the first, Stanton would start things off with his 22nd home run of the year, a two-run bomb to right field the other way, to right center. That would make it 2 to nothing as his murder of the Red Sox, particularly at Fenway Park especially, would continue. Top of the second, Jose Trevino, RBI single made it 3 to nothing. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, another very rare instance of him coming through, RBI single made it 4 to nothing. You're feeling good if you're the Yankees at this point. But then Tyone allowed them to creep back in. Franchi Cordero, of all people. Only his fourth home run of the year would hit a two-run shot in the bottom of the second right after the Yankees added on a couple of more, so they got those runs right back. Made it 4-2. to two. Top of the third, though, Carpenter got those two runs back again. Two-run shot with his 10th home run of the year as he just continues to murder everybody. <laughs> he is He is incredible. The fairy tale of fairy tale stories. It is unreal what he's done. Bottom of the third, though, and bottom of the fifth was when Tyone just collapsed. Between giving up a solo shot to Christian Vasquez on a horrible hanging curveball, made it six to three. Just again, another one of the bunch of starts consecutively that Tyone just had nothing. Started to make you think, oh, maybe he could use a break too, maybe skip his spot in the rotation a couple of times, but. Whatever. <laughs> Yesterday he rebounded. We'll get to that. But Christian Vasquez again in the bottom of the fifth. An RBI double. That made it 6-4. to four. And then a game-tying two-run opposite field shot for J.D. Martinez made it 6-6. Six to six. And at this point you're just like, oh my god, Tyone. The Yankees gave you six runs to work with. You were up 6-2 to two and you couldn't hold them down. It was just a, it was just a disaster. Very bad start for Tyone. And after that, just the offense went to sleep, really. I mean, they did their job. They put up six runs. Should be enough, but they didn't really put up anything else. The pitching just continued to be bad no matter who they brought out. Bottom of the six, Jeter Downs. Sack fly made it 7-6, to six, and the Red Sox just didn't look back. Trevor Story with a bases-clearing three-run double made it 10-6. to six. Franchi Cordero sacrificed bunt and on a throwing error also by Albert Abreu on the mound at the time. Didn't help anything. One of the unearned runs that came in for Miguel Castro because it was his responsibility. That drove him another run on the throwing error, made it 11-6. Red Sox won by that score. The Yankees would have to settle with a series split in a series that could have very well been a sweep because they definitely should have won Saturday. And Sunday, they put up six runs. They're winning 6-2. to two. And Tyone and everybody else fell apart. So that's that. You hope that they bounced back against Cincy this past week, but they didn't. Like I said, this series was just putrid. (laughs) This game, there's not really much to say. Bottom of the first, Anthony Rizzo got a two-run single. Bottom of the third, RBI single by Donaldson made it three to nothing. And that was really all they had to do because you found yourself in the ninth inning before you knew it. Yankees are up three to nothing. Clay Holmes on the mound. 
and you assume that he would maybe get back on track up three to nothing against a horrible team, but in stunning, unexpected to the highest degree fashion. Holmes didn't even get an out. It, it was beyond anything anybody could have ever imagined, especially against a team like the Reds. But first off, he would allow his first run on an RBI single to Tyler Naquin. He would then hit Kyle Farmer with a pitch, one of his two hit-by-pitches in this inning, to drive in their second run, make it 3-2. to two. And just when... This was the worst part. We thought that the Yankees were actually going to escape this. That's the sad part. <laughs> because they then took Clay out before they actually lost the lead. And in that top of the ninth, they brought in Wandy Peralta after him. This is not the first time that they took Clay Holmes out amidst his struggles and then brought in Wandy Peralta in hopes that Peralta would get them out of the jam. And he damn near almost did. He drew two ground balls, one by Solano and then Senzel, with no run scoring. So now... There were two outs. He had the Reds down their last strike, almost doing what happened so rarely, getting out of a bases-loaded, nobody-out jam to close out a nerve-wracking game. But it was not to be because with the Reds down to their last strike, Jonathan India hit a bloop single to center field, driving in the game, tying and go-ahead runs, making it 4-3 to three Reds. And in the bottom of the ninth... The Yankees went down quietly. Aaron Judge led off the inning with a strikeout. And then DJ did walk, but then Glaber Torres grounded into a game-ending double play. Really tough loss for the Yankees, especially coming off the Red Sox series with the way those last two games went. Having lost three in a row now for only the second time this whole entire season because the Yankees have not had basically any long losing streaks in this incredible historic season. So this this kind of a loss to pile on to the final two games in Boston, which were definitely arguably two games that they probably shouldn't have lost also, and they definitely shouldn't have lost this first one of the Reds either. Just a tough mentality going into the second game against the Reds. And it was almost really bad in this game as well, but fortunately they were able to save themselves the Yankees, but it did start off badly because this was the game that I mentioned before where Luis Severino just didn't look right in his first and only two innings of work before he was taken out, giving up three home runs in a row, back to back to back in the beginning of the game, totaling four runs though, with just two innings pitched, four hits, two walks, only one strikeout, he just didn't have it, and J.P. Sears came in. After he was done, fortunately gave him three and two-thirds innings of work. He only allowed two runs, so he was okay. The rest of the bullpen after that, from Abreu to Peralta, Chapman, Holmes, and King in the end, in the 10th inning, not even allowing that fake runner to score. I mean, it really, the rest of the bullpen, for one of the only times in this last week or two that they had mostly struggled, really held things down and allowed the Yankee offense to really creep back in, but... Not a good start to it. The Yankees were down 4 to nothing. 
Then they came back in the bottom of the third, scored all of their runs other than in the eighth and tenth innings when they scored the other two in each of those innings. But bottom of the third, on the fielder's choice, Anthony Rizzo drove home the first run of the game, made it 4-1. to one. Glaber Torres, RBI single, made it 4-2. to two. And Isaiah Kiner-Falefa with, again, a very rare big moment. And <laughs> I think I joked about, I've joked about it on Twitter, definitely, but I think I've said it on this show, too, how IKF just seems to have no strength with the bat, meaning he just, he has no power whatsoever. No power. Off the bat with anybody else, I would have thought that this was, this was a grand slam off the bat, easily. But knowing that IKF is just, he just doesn't have any power at all. I knew it would either be caught or it would fall in. It did fall in in left center field, fortunately for a bases-clearing three-run double. Big hit for IKF. I'll give him that. Big moment. Made it 5-4. to four. But then in the top of the fifth, this is when J.P. Sears was in still. Gave up the next and last two runs that they would give up to the Reds. Ground rule double for Joey Votto. RBI double tying the game. And then Tyler Stevenson, their catcher, hit a sacrifice fly to again put them ahead 6-5. to five. So they're like, oh my god, the struggling against this Reds team. But they didn't give in. Bottom of the eighth, John Carlos Stanton, solo shot to right field, his 23rd of the year. Bottom of the 10th, with John Carlos Stanton up at bat yet again. Another fine example of an ugly win, but a win is a win. Wild pitch. Run came home to score, being DJ LeMahieu. Yankees win 7-6. So an ugly win against a bad team, but like I always say, a win is a win. But in really bad fashion in Game 3, the rubber game matchup, the Yankees could not take the series. Luis Castillo could potentially be seen as an audition. <laughs> Took the mound for the Reds against the Yankees, and he was as advertised. The Yankees could not do anything with his fastball. They only scored one run off him in seven innings. He struck out eight Yankees. He did a fantastic job. He really, really did. So kudos to Luis Castillo. It would be awesome to see him in a Yankee uniform one day. Although I've never seen it. I, I didn't see it as a realistic option back then. It could always happen going forward. This is the most realistic it has seemed up to this point. Being right here in this point in time. The possibility of him being added to the Yankee rotation via trade with the Reds at some point, but regardless of what happens, very good start for him here. And it was a really good pitcher's duel between he and Nestor. Nestor's first really dominant start in quite some time. He really bounced back nicely with a seven-inning and one-run performance, just like Luis Castillo. So they really went head-to-head here. It was a really exciting game. They each only allowed a run. Nestor allowed his in the top of the fifth on a sack fly by Brendan Drury, and Luis Castillo allowed his on an RBI ground up by Stanton in the bottom of the sixth. So, it was neck and neck heading into the later parts of the game, all the way to the eighth inning as a matter of fact. But then the Reds jumped out in front, Joey Votto RBI single, Kyle Farmer two-run single, made it 4-1 to Reds in the eighth inning. It was looking bleak again, very bleak, but the Yankees weren't giving in yet. Bottom of the eighth, Aaron Judge started it off with a solo shot, his 31st home run of the year. That made it 4-2. to two. And then Glaber Torres, who continues his great comeback season that so many of us were praying for, it has continued. His 14th home run, this is also the most recent and last home run that he's hit, his 14th of the year, a game-tying two-run shot in the bottom of the eighth made it 4-4, four to four. 
But then it fell apart after that. In the top of the 10th, with Lucas Litke on the mound, and I had a bad feeling about this from the start. Litke has actually mostly had an impressive season. He's bounced back very nicely from his early season struggles, but this inning did not go well for him. RBI double for Joey Votto. RBI double for Tyler Stevenson. RBI single for Donovan Solano. Not good. 7-4 Reds headed into the bottom of the 10th. Matt Carpenter comes to the plate, makes things a little closer with a two-run shot, his 11th of the year, driving Stanton home. So now it's 7-6. But the Yankees couldn't complete the comeback. They almost managed to, but in ugly fashion, losing the series 2-3 out of three to the Reds at home. And... A lot of people were over-dramatizing it, and understandably so to a certain degree, because, you know, like I said, coming off the last two games in Boston, having lost a, a tough game in Pittsburgh, but it happens. You're not going to win them all. So that first game in Pittsburgh, whatever, just chalk that up to a regular loss. But two games you shouldn't have lost in Fenway Park, and now two games you definitely shouldn't have lost, either one, to the Reds at Yankee Stadium, finally returning home from the long road trip. Again, just people just not feeling good. And then you factor in what happened next night against the Red Sox on Friday a couple of days ago. Had people feeling even a little worse. Just goes to show that what I was saying before these last two days, yesterday and today, how the content when it comes to the Yankees was different with other people who put out content. It would have been with me as well, understandably so, because as of Friday, the prior week or so of Yankees baseball hadn't been good. And Friday was really the end of that. But starting off the series... Here was Jordan Montgomery against the Red Sox, and the first inning started off rough right away. Rafael Devers homered again to lead off the game in the top of the first. Two-run shot. So Rob Snyder reached base right away, then Devers took Monty deep, made it 2 to nothing. Feels like Devers continues to hit home run against the Yankees in almost every game against them. Just really making you just feel in your head again, just never pitch to this guy ever again. Or just change the approach, do something. But this just can't continue. So he put them up 2 to nothing right away. Damage could have been much worse because then J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts each reached base after that. But Monty was able to squeeze out of trouble and limit the damage to two, which proved to be nice because in the bottom of the third, when Stanton hit a three-run shot, that made it a go-ahead shot on his 24th of the year. So Stanton, even with missing a couple of weeks with injury at 24 home runs, headed into the break, one of the two of our beloved behemoths, as I've come to call him and judge as of the last month or so. So that gave them a 3-2 lead, feeling good. But then the Sox jumped back out in front in the top of the 4th and the top of the 7th. Top of the 4th, Christian Vasquez tied the game with a solo shot off Monty. That would be the last run that Monty would give up in a total of 6 innings of work, only allowing 3 runs. So despite... A rough start to the game. Monty actually pitched an overall decent game again. So fairly decent start for him. Top of the seventh with Chapman coming in. I alluded to this before. Bringing Chapman in at any capacity is asking for trouble, but especially in a tie freaking game. He gives up a go-ahead solo shot to Bobby Dahlbeck, so that gave them a 4-3 to lead. Bottom of the ninth. Down to the last inning. Yankees have runners on first and second thanks to a leadoff single by Glaber and a hit-by-pitch to Matt Carpenter. And then on a ground ball by IKF, Tanner Houck on the mound throws the ball down the left field line. Glaber Torres comes home to score to tie the game, so just thanks to an error, but hey, it's part of baseball. The Yankees tied the game at four. 
And this was one of the innings where the Yankees just choked colossally, colossally. Bases loaded, nobody out after they intentionally walked Aaron Hicks after that to face Trevino. Trevino hits a ground ball to Devers. They go to home to get the force for one, on to first for a double play. DJ grounds out. Yankees choke away a beautiful opportunity to win the game in definitely what should have been a win. Tenth inning, neither team scored. Yankees choked away another big opportunity with the bases loaded, one out, did nothing. Top of the 11th, the Red Sox would take the lead on a wild pitch. And in the bottom of the 11th, the Yankees couldn't complete any sort of a comeback. And the Yankees would again lose another tough game. All the losses in this past week really seemed like real tough ones to swallow. But they lose, they lose another tough one to start off the series against Boston, who had just gotten swept by in a really rough series at the Trop against Tampa by the score of 5-4. to four. And Yankee fans are really at a low point here, despite how great the season was, but people were going insane. Fortunately, the last two days have done quite a bit to lift people's spirits because yesterday the Yankees won 14-1, to mainly behind Matt Carpenter's two three-run homers. But this game started off in a bleak fashion because, again, in the top of the first, Rafael Devers hit another freaking home run! <laughs> a solo shot this time that made it one nothing Boston. But then the Yankees scored 14 unanswered runs, and that one run would end up being the only run that Tyone would give up in six innings of work and his nice bounce-back start after, like I said before, a bunch of consecutive starts of ugliness. Ryan Weber, who's still up, would pitch three scoreless innings and finish off the game for his first major league save, so good for him. But the 14 unanswered runs... Donaldson, RBI ground out, bottom of the first. Matt Carpenter, his first of two three-run homers, this being his 12th home run of the year for the Yankees inside of about 72 at-bats or so. Unbelievable. 72 to 75 at-bats. Bottom of the fifth, Aaron Judge with his first of two home runs this night as well, last night. That made it 5-1. to one. Solo shot is 32nd. And then... Shortly after, Matt Carpenter with his second three-run homer, his 13th and most recent home run of the year, making it 8-1 to one Yankees. Bottom of the sixth, Aaron Judge made it 10-1 to one on a two-run shot, his 33rd home run of the season, also tying Roger Maris for the most home runs before the All-Star break as Aaron Judge continues to also chase him for the legitimate single-season home run record, as we know, which is 61, set by Maris in 1961. (laughs) Bottom of the eighth, Matt Carpenter. Bases loaded walk, giving himself yet another RBI, totaling seven on the evening. Unbelievable. That made it 11-1. to On a throwing error, Aaron Hicks would reach and drive home Stanton, made it 12-1, to and then Isaiah Kiner-Falefa would drive home the last two runs of the game for the Yankees on a two-run single, 14-1, to and that would be the final. And today, the game that just ended a little while ago at the time I started recording, the Yankees would win 13-2. to On the mound for the Yankees today was Garrett Cole, finally with a Dominant start against Boston. Seven innings of two-run ball. Those two runs only being a two-run shot to Jeter Downs in the top of the third inning. But otherwise, walking nobody and striking out 12 Red Sox. Great start by him. After him would be Litke pitching a scoreless eighth and Luizaga pitching a scoreless ninth. And the offense, they did their thing. Glaber Torres 
on a fielder's choice, drove home the first run of the game. Devers tried to get the force at home, but threw the ball away. Made it one to nothing, Yankees. Matt Carpenter on a ground out would drive home another run. Aaron Judge came home to score, made it two to nothing, and then Aaron Hicks with an RBI single. But my God, what a story that comes with this RBI single! He hit the ball 107 miles an hour off Chris Sale, who started this game, and the ball went right back to Chris Sale's pinky on his throwing hand and shattered the bone on impact. How did you know that right after? Well, I'll tell you, because they zoomed into his pinky afterwards, and it was literally, it was. It was bent into like the... It was pointing the wrong way. Oh my God. Oh my God. It was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. And then listening to the impact on replay. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I'm getting the, the shivers up my spine as I'm describing it. <laughs> oh my God. So terrible. Chris Sale coming back from yet another injury. Another long-term injury. Only a second start back and just something with freak horrible luck. A, a bullet right back to his pinky finger. Oh, broken finger easily. You could tell right when it happened and you saw the way it was pointing. Ugh. He's probably going to be out at least another month, month and a half. <sighs> the poor guy. Horrible look. Can't stay healthy and then has something like this happen to him. Just horrible. I feel awful for him and just awful in general with how horrific the injury is. Oh my God. It's horrible. Horrible. I, I, like, screamed out of horror when it happened. Oh, my God, it was horrible. <laughs> so, speedy recovery to him. Just absolutely terrible. I'm so sorry that happened to him. Oh, my God. Never root for that sort of a thing. Ever. Bottom of the fourth. This is when the Yankees really started to take off. DJ LeMahieu, RBI single, 4-2. to two. Aaron Judge, RBI single, 5-2. to two. Matt Carpenter, two-run double, 7-2. to two. Aaron Hicks, RBI single, 8-2. to two. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, sacrifice fly, 9-2. Tim LaCastro, two-run shot to left center, 11-2. And then in the bottom of the seventh, Joey Gallo came in late in the game when the Yankees were already winning big, hit a two-run shot, whatever, fine, made it 13-2, and that was the final. The Yankees, with tough losses in the last week, week and a half, but finishing strong, heading into the break. Definitely a preferred finish over the Red Sox, who have had a disastrous week. And as of losing this series, they mentioned this on the Yankee broadcast as well, they had officially, in the first half, not won a single series against an AL East opponent. How brutal is that? (laughs) And this last week, getting manhandled by Tampa, and these last two days against the Yankees, getting just completely bombed out of the Bronx. I definitely wouldn't want to be them. But I'm just glad that, especially going into the break, but in general, based on the last week and a half, that the Yankees were able to have these last two games. That's very important. Get back on track and hopefully resume it once the break is over. But rough last week and a half or so for the Yankees, but with a good finish heading into the break. Which, speaking of, tomorrow night's the home run derby. Tuesday night's the all-star game. Wednesday's a day off. So no baseball the next three days as far as regular season baseball is concerned. Thursday, the Yankees come back as far as what's ahead until we speak again next Sunday. They have a doubleheader in Houston, another part of, as we've alluded to in past episodes as well, making up what they missed from the first week that was postponed in early April because of the CBA, that whole mess. So this is an additional part of the makeup games 
So a doubleheader in Houston. going to be a tough one. 1.10 p.m. start for Game 1 and 6.40 p.m. start for Game 2. Those are Eastern times, by the way, because I want to mix that up since they're in Houston. There are different time zones, obviously. So that's Thursday. Doubleheader coming right back from the break. And then Friday, the Yankees are going to head to Baltimore for a three-game weekend set. And like I said before... Baltimore is no laughing matter anymore. They're a 500 team now, making the AL East, again, the only division in baseball that has every team in the division at 500 or better. So what the Orioles have done to resurge here, it's pretty freaking awesome, <laughs> to be honest with you. So they'll head to Baltimore for that weekend set. Friday will be a 7.05 Eastern start. Saturday will be 7.05 as well. And Sunday the 24th, when we speak again, when we meet again. It'll be a 1.35 Eastern start, and I'll probably either start recording towards the end of that game or maybe even when it's over for when we talk again next week. Well, my friends, I said before that I wouldn't do a social media segment so I could just avoid doing a, like an hour and a half episode again, and here we are over an hour and a half anyway. <laughs> God, who's worse than me? That is correct. Absolutely nobody. But anyway, yes, good thing I didn't do a social media segment. We'd probably be here for almost two hours. (laughs) So without further ado, my friends, that is all basically for the most part from this last week or two of Yankees baseball. Lots to get through, lots to cover, lots to recap. And obviously I have to catch you up on why I missed last week as well. So just a lot to get through. Still a fun-ass episode nonetheless, at least for me. I hope it was for you as well, but... With that being said, that is all for episode 146 of Yapping Yankees today, my friends. Please remember to follow me on all socials if you don't already. Mike Scudero NY on Facebook, at Mike Scudero on Twitter, and Mike Scuds 97 on Instagram. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all of the platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love on all four of those. And if you've missed any of the past episodes of Yapping Yankees, then good news. Episodes 34 all the way up to episode 146 today are available on YouTube. And every single episode going all the way back to episode 1 are available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Spotify. Once again... Thank you, 3,000, as always, for listening to me yap today, my friends. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, July 24th, when I come at you with episode 147 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient. Please stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Enjoy the All-Star break. Enjoy the Derby tomorrow night, the All-Star game on Tuesday, the day off on Wednesday. Get back to baseball on Thursday and enjoy the rest of that up until we talk next week. So I'll talk to you next Sunday, my friends. Take care, and as always, let's go Yanks. (laughs) 